Hi everybody, I'm George, and welcome to The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. And today's guest is a wonderful writer, you might know her from We Who Walk Here, but she's also got bylines in The Daily Grindhouse, Film Cred, and Nightmarish Wanderings. Jessica Scott is here, how's it going? I'm good, how are you doing? Doing well, very excited to talk about today's movie, but I'm also very excited to talk about you, because I really enjoy your writing, and I am very curious to hear about where it all started for you, and where your love of horror comes from. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and thank you for that, by the way, that's very kind of you to say. Sure. I have loved spooky things and horror for as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up reading a lot of horror books. I grew up, um, I, the earliest spooky books I remember were like scary stories to tell in the dark, John (laughs) Belair's books. Um, and every Halloween special, scary cartoon, whatever I could find on TV, I was obsessed with. The movie we're going to be talking about is actually one of my earliest memories of watching a horror movie. It wasn't my first one. My first one was Poltergeist. (laughs) I was way too young. I hid behind the couch (laughs) while my parents watched it on TV. Um, Was terrified. I had nightmares, but I loved it. I I was obsessed with being scared. So, you know, I I got really into 50s creature features, haunted house movies. I was really into older movies. I loved the aesthetic of black and white horror, which again will lead us into the movie we're going to be talking about. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) But the, the the movie that really turned me into a capital H, capital F horror fan was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh. That changed everything for me. I, <laughs> I went from being like a spooky kid to being, oh, no, I'm a horror fan. This is for me. <laughs> so I've, I've been kind of all over the place with things, enjoying, you know, for my age, what you might consider older movies, which I think has been a benefit. But however you come to horror is a good way to come to horror. So don't let me disparage people <laughs> who only dig the newer things right now. So... No, I I do agree, though. I think that there's a certain benefit to a more holistic approach where you can kind of see the influence that kind of trickles down over the years. Mm -hmm. So I I definitely also encourage people to at least give some of these older movies a shot if you haven't. Yeah, absolutely. I will never pretend to be a silent horror movie expert, but I think you should watch as much silent horror as you can, as much pre-code horror, as much, you know, horror from different countries and different creators, like just as much horror as you can get, why would you turn it down? There's so much good stuff out there. Criterion is a goldmine. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For horror, which you might not expect, but there's a lot of great horror on the Criterion Channel in addition to other genres. Absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned being all over the place. You know, and you even just listed a bunch of stuff between Haunted House, Creature Features, and the Chainsaw Massacre kind of grime. <laughs> Do you have a favorite subgenre that kind of sticks out to you and that you're more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to? Yes, Haunted House movies. That's my bread and butter. Like, the first movie I remember being, like, obsessed with was House on Haunted Hill. Because mm. it was campy and creepy and funny and spooky all at the same Something time. Something for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> like, that is one of the most fun movies ever made. It's and great. I just the aesthetic of an old haunted house has always stuck with me. And, you know, you can go super fun with it and keep it light and breezy and just say, I like spooky haunted houses. Or you can kind of go more in depth because I've always uh, related to the idea that home is where you're supposed to be safe. Home is supposed to be your one place of refuge from the outside world and from the evils that surround you. When home isn't even safe, that's the scariest Mm. thing to me. So that's why I love haunted house movies. Yeah, that is great. That breakdown of the feeling of security mm-hmm. is is really fantastic. And yeah. uh, I will say that I am still waiting for someone to pick Houseu for this show, which <gasps> I 
Love, love, love that movie. Probably my favorite haunted house movie. Although I also love The Changeling. But oh yes, I mean, how can you go wrong with either of those? If absolutely. you let me pick two movies, I will absolutely <laughs> come talk about Housey with you. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll do a spotlight app. We'll get you on the uh, the Patreon as well. You heard it here first, folks. But today we're talking about the 1963 movie The Haunting, itself an adaptation of Shirley Jackson's 1959 novel The Haunting of Hill House. This is a story that was brought back into the zeitgeist by Mike Flanagan's recent Netflix series, which captured the cultural imagination, but the book itself has long been a success and inspiration for authors and screenwriters the world over, including its direct influence on former best horror movie ever made, The Legend of Hell House. <laughs> the script and play was written by Nelson Gidding uh, over the course of about six months after he was given the book by Robert Wise, the director of this movie. And his initial concept for the script was that Eleanor, one of the main characters and ghost hunters in this movie, had had her nervous breakdown and was hospitalized and that the house was actually the hospital and everything was happening inside of her mind. And I just love when I was reading about this and how Nelson was like, oh yeah, I'm on to you, Shirley. This is really about mental breakdown. <laughs> and then he met her and she was like, no, it's about ghosts, but good try. <laughs> And I, I just love the idea of Shirley Jackson taking anyone to task and being like, no, you are wrong. Sorry about <laughs> How it. How dare you tell me what my book is about? Right? Yeah. <laughs> also, I will say, before we get too far from it, the book is also very good, and I encourage people to check that out. Yes, absolutely. After they had completed the script, they did... They walked that back a little bit after the conversation, and they put <laughs> it back in an actual house. But they completed the script. They had a little bit of a challenge getting it made. Uh, United Artists, who Wise had just made West Side Story with, declined production first, and Wise still owed MGM a movie from an old contract, so he offered it to them next. The problem was that they had a hard budget of a million dollars for the movie, and the production department's budget breakdown came in at more like a million four. So they said no as well. And he was on his way to England for a command performance of West Side Story. <laughs> Very fancy. <laughs> and someone was like, hey, they got all kinds of tax breaks and stuff over there. You should talk to MGM British while you're in London. And a few weeks later, their budget breakdown came in closer to the goal at $1,050,000, which is so hilariously specific to me. <laughs> and uh, MGM got back on board with the green light at this budget. Wise supposedly got a list of haunted places that might fit the location, and eventually he settled on Eddington Park, though the interior sets were designed by Elliot Scott. And atypically, these sets had ceilings to create a more claustrophobic feeling, and all the actors were really creeped out between these and the eeriness of the manor. And I think that this is such an interesting decision to really invest in creating that actual feeling of eeriness on set, and I think it absolutely comes through in the performances. Mm -hmm. This isn't even something that was only done with the set design, you know, but the sound as well. They actually recorded the sounds ahead of time of bumps in the night in an old manner and stuff and had them play while everyone was there. And I think it just really shows a commitment to uh, authenticity as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Although by 1963, color had become fairly standard, Wise wisely felt that the black and white would amplify the creepiness of the gothic terror and had it written into his contract that that's how the movie would be made which actually helped fend off an attempt at colorization by Turner Entertainment down the road as well. And I, you mentioned that this is something that really sticks out to you about the movie. I'd love to hear what about the cinematography and the look of it really speaks to you. Well, I've always gravitated towards black and white because I, I also grew up really loving film noir. So the use of shadow and light when used effectively by a, 
an amazing storyteller and Robert Wise is definitely an amazing storyteller. There's just something so gorgeous about it to me. You know, you can make shadows come alive. You can... It's so much more than just black and white. There are so many different tones that you can achieve. And there's something about the murkiness of the shadows in this house that is literally alive. You know, Eleanor repeatedly says the house is alive. It's alive. It's watching us. It's manipulating our movements. And the shadows feel like they have more personality in black and white rather than color. Yeah. And it really just, it does add to that gothic spooky element. I just, it's just a really beautiful use of black and white to make the house a character in its own right, which I think it establishes from the very first shot. Yeah, and really kind of brilliant to have the understanding of the medium and not just be like, oh, color is the new thing. Like, this is what we're obviously going to do. To understand what he was really going for didn't have to necessarily be utilizing the newest technology, even though they did kind of utilize stuff that was experimental lenses and stuff in order to make this come to life. But the black and white utilizing that older aesthetic, I think is much to the movie's benefit. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up the lens because it, I, I had always wondered growing up what kind of lens it was. Cause I, I am not uh, well-versed in photography or filmmaking in terms of, you know, different lenses and things like that. But I could tell that there was something about it because it kind of, it's got almost a fisheye aspect to it, where they have this wide-angle lens that kind of distorts things at the edges, and it feels like a giant iris, like a giant eyeball, like the, f- the house itself is watching. This, yeah. is a, this is a film that plays with perspective a lot. Sometimes we see things from the characters' perspectives. Sometimes we see things from the perspective of a spirit who's in the room with them. Sometimes we see per- things from the perspective of the house itself. Yeah. And... When you're watching it, it feels really organic, but it switches so quickly. There are some really quick, really surprising edits, and it just it plays with perspective. It keeps you on your toes, and it introduces unseen characters constantly yeah. in a way that is really unsettling. And even jumping into things that you wouldn't expect to have that perspective from, like you said, it jumps into the house. There are moments where it feels like you're one of the statues that they've been talking about. Yes. and that really throws you off to have them be like, oh, wow, can't believe this statue is here. And then suddenly you're in it and like watching them. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, there could be, the statues could be possessed. The statues could have their own individual spirits and suddenly you're one of them. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, speaking of Flanagan, something I think his adaptation did really brilliantly was leaning harder into the idea that things in the house move when you're not looking. It makes it much more obvious, like some of the statues that, you know, that famously brilliant long take, when they move away from a statue, the crew would run up and replace the statue (laughs) and then they'd come back, (laughs) which I think is so brilliant. Every time I watch The Haunting, the 63 version, I try to remind myself to pay attention to the objects in the house to see if that happens, but I, I'm so entertained and I'm so <laughs> caught up in the story that I can never make myself do it. Yeah, those uh, performances are too magnetic. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And even if they don't physically switch things out, the brilliance of the camera angles suggests it. This is a movie all about suggestion. Yeah. That's one reason that I chose it as my, you know, this is the best horror movie ever made, because it does so much with so little. It's just sound design and camera movement, which minimalism to achieve one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I just, I think it's brilliant. It's just technically brilliant on in every department. Totally. The cinematographer for The Haunting is Davis Bolton, and he and Wise decided that 
in order to do this, they were going to use this experimental lens, and they were going to warp the dimensions of space-like hallways. And to this end, they reached out to Panavision about a wide-angle lens, and they were all like, all we have is this 40-millimeter one. And he was like, well, what do you got in the back room? They they finally admitted that they were working on a 30 millimeter one, although I also saw a quote that said 28 millimeter. So who can actually say what the real measurement is? But it wasn't ready. And he was like, come on. And so they, they loaned it to him as long as he signed off on a note acknowledging that he understood it had distortions in it and wasn't quite ready. But it, yeah, it, it looks absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And in order to further increase the off-balance feelings that this lens was intended to create, they also made sure that the shot selection trended towards active. There's a lot of panning and tracking shots, plus a lot of low angles that really are effective as well. Some Dutch angles that really just keep you feeling off-balance at all times. They chose actors more for experience and who they felt like would fit the part rather than look for box office trends. They also were forced to use a certain amount of British actors by virtue of filming there and claiming those tax credits. First of these is Richard Johnson as Dr. Markway, head ghost hunter and the one who has leased the house. So charming in this movie. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And I love the transition from the narration to actually seeing him. I think it's so seamless, and they do such a great job of getting you accustomed to this guy without ever even being on screen. Yeah. The the editing is really smart, and his narration is really smart. He clearly relishes telling this story. Like, he, yeah. he's very into it and very, you know, he, the salacious details and the morbid details. He just really loves it, and... He, you can tell he's enjoying it so much. And, you know, the sound design between his narration and the echoey sound of Eleanor's internal monologue is really fascinating to me, too. Oh, yeah. Really, really great stuff. Mm-hmm. We also have Claire Bloom is another notable cast member playing bohemian lesbian and ESP possessor Theodora. The portrayal of a lesbian as being just like a normal, if tempestuous, person is pretty ahead of its time considering that it would be another five years before homosexuality got downgraded from a type of sociopathy to a mere sexual deviance in the DSM. (laughs) So people weren't quite on board yet. And to their credit with the movie, Theo, as she goes by, is, you know, she just feels like a person, if like very sarcastic and caustic at times. But who among us has not been that way, (laughs) especially in a haunted house? Right. But yeah, at the time, they tended to be more villains and predators, and even then, more coded than the fairly explicit nature of her sexuality in the mirror, which itself was censored of a cut scene at the very beginning, where she yells at a speeding away woman and writes, I hate you on the mirror in lipstick, which lends a little play to later when she they're like, are you married? And she like pauses a moment before mm-hmm. saying no. I I think that she just does such a spectacular job with this performance. And it's so, so great. She does. You can watch, you can just watch Theo's face the entire time. And she is playing every moment, every bit of jealousy. When there's a moment between Eleanor and Markway or every haughty glance or glare (laughs) or something. And her delivery on that no like there's so much meaning loaded into that the way she pauses and just kind of says no right with that little up tilt in her voice it's her line delivery and just her face is fantastic she's so good in this movie for sure for sure and she of course has to play off of eleanor played by Mm -hmm. julie harris interestingly this character has her own queerness downplayed or at least shifted more into internalized homophobia in the movie compared to the book Mm -hmm. in the book she and theo get very attached And she even says that she's going to follow her to New York once this is all over. But in the movie, 
there's a layer of her like fearing this and lashing out at Theo in a very intense scene. Plus, her heterosexual attraction to Dr. Markway creates another source of tension in Theo's jealousy that keeps things very in flux and agitated in, in the house, which is, of course, what it preys on. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I do love that scene between them when she tells Theo that she's one of nature's mistakes, and Theo is so wounded, as, yeah. you know, as anyone would be. It's a really remarkable moment, and I... I'm embarrassed to admit it. When I was a kid, all of that went over my head. I didn't, I picked up on the tension, but I didn't know what was happening. And in hindsight, you're right. It's, it's as explicit as they could possibly be at the time. Yeah. So it's, it's really remarkable that considering it was 63 that they, you know, quote unquote, got away with that. And it adds (laughs) such an interesting layer of tension to it. You're absolutely right that it is. I mean, that the way that she spits it out feels designed so forcibly to to wound Theo. Mm -hmm. You know, she knows exactly what she's saying and how much this is going to hurt her after the way that they've their relationship has grown. As far as the reception to the movie, people thought it was extremely scary, but not really anything to write home about beyond that. They praised the cinematography, but thought the plot was weak and opinions on the performances varied. It also didn't quite make its money back at the box office, coming in at another specific million and twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> round it up and say it broke even all right <laughs> you know? i'm on board for that i'm on board for that i'm sure over the course of home video it's uh, made that back right right <laughs> and it has of course grown in estimation over the years including being considered the scariest horror movie ever by marty scorsese and steven spielberg and the best horror movie ever made by us so there Yay! you go there you go <laughs> To get into the actual movie, though, it starts off with this great shot of the house itself. Very smart to open up with what is really the main character of the movie, even if Mm -hmm. you don't know it. Right. It looks sinister as all get out, thanks to some infrared film stock and filters on the lens that create a very striking black and white. And we hear the voiceover of Dr. Markway, though we don't know it's him yet, saying, An evil old house, the kind some people call haunted, like an undiscovered country waiting to be explored. Hill House has stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. It's really great. It's really eerie. The score rises as the title solidifies into place. I just love it. I think it's so spectacular of an intro. It is. I'm, I'm obsessed with the score. You know, making notes. But it's so different when you're watching for a podcast and you're taking notes on things that you never consciously noticed before. But that score is so good. And there, there are very few quote-unquote normal angles. That yeah. really low angle when we're introduced to the house you feel like an ant looking up at this giant evil thing. And it's so smart and so subtle. Like, it's it's clear what they're doing, but everything feels so natural and so organic that you don't notice it. You're just off. Everything's off kilter. Like yeah. the house itself, you know, there are no right angles in the house. There are no right angles in the movie. <laughs> and it just keeps you on your toes. It keeps you terrified the whole time. This this movie still scares the hell out of me, honestly. And I don't it's know how many effective. times I've seen it. Yeah, it's just so well done. Hill House itself was built by a wealthy religious zealot named Hugh Crane. And we get some narrated flashbacks to reveal the history of the house. His wife died when the horses bolted as soon as they arrived at the house crashing the carriage into a tree. That tree will come back into play down the road. (laughs) Pun kind of intended. (laughs) Uh, His second wife fell down the stairs, backing away from something scary, although no one ever figured out what. And this whole time, everything in it looks absolutely incredible. There's some very soft and smooth dissolves, some really great shot selection, but wow, 
the second death when it's just <laughs> looking at the corpse at the bottom of the stairwell oh is just chef's kiss it is that is an iconic moment for a reason it is gorgeous i mean and you see her perspective as she tumbles down the stairs the camera tumbles you know i mean not literally but you know what i mean yeah you know your (laughs) perspective tumbles and then you see this shot it's so shocking of this dead woman and even her body is askew nothing is right nothing is natural Mm -hmm. it's oh god it's so gorgeous it really is kane himself drowned in england on a journey and his daughter abigail lived in the nursery for the rest of her life the effect of her getting old is also fantastic. It looks like a morph, but it's actually just more soft dissolves, really skillfully done to make it look pretty seamless. The woman hired to take care of Abigail was busy smooching a farmhand when Abigail died, and though the companion inherited the house, she wound up hanging herself from the staircase in the library. First of all, spooky-ass staircase to begin with, especially as a bigger guy, I'm like, you're not getting me up there. <laughs> <laughs> but second... Her dropping down into frame, what a shock. Looks amazing. It's absolutely spectacular. And then finally, as the camera goes zooming down the stairs in this disorienting way, mm-hmm. you're recovering from this shock when they hit you with this incredible technical like camera movement that is so incredible. They had to literally make the handrail into a makeshift dolly track and just send it speeding down with wires. It's fantastic. Exactly. It feels like, you know, every other shot in this movie is something that if you saw it in another film, you'd be like, wait, we have to go back and pause and watch <laughs> this virtuosic shot again. But it's it's every other shot or every shot in the movie. Everything is just so well done. It's like if they weren't making such an entertaining film, you would think they're just showing off at this point because it's, <laughs> it's just amazing. It really is. It shows that Wise had built such a career up to this point that Mm -hmm. he's really operating kind of at the height of his powers, if you will. Yeah. And it it really shows. I think it it comes off, like you said, virtuosic. He's got full command of what's happening on screen. Yeah, I I never think he gets enough credit, especially for being so skilled in so many different genres. Yeah, he's all over the place. He is. He has classics in almost every genre. And it's just, how is this one guy doing all these amazing movies? And a lot of times I think to make a good horror movie you have to you have to be in horror like it's hard for someone who's not used to horror doesn't know quote unquote the rules of horror how it works but if you're a student of film and you you're a good storyteller you're a good storyteller and he just made for the purposes of this podcast the best horror (laughs) movie ever made you know it's just it it shocks me every time I look at his filmography even if I've got it memorized I go back and look at it and think there's no way one guy directed all these movies (laughs) what an achievement but we finally see Mark Way discussing leasing Hill House from Miss Sanderson who I like very much friendly (laughs) but not taking any guff very small (laughs) but fun character Mm -hmm. good job (laughs) we also hear that Mark Way will be bringing some research assistance but not his wife who does not approve of the experiments and Luke Miss Sanderson's nephew who expects to inherit Hill House. He is played by Russ Tamblin, and he also does a very good job. Mm-hmm. One of these assistants is Eleanor Lance, a.k.a. Nell, who has spent her entire life basically uh, cooped up, taking care of her, her mother, who has been very ill, and she has, shall we say, a prickly relationship with her sister, in whose living room she currently resides. And this scene of them arguing and, and the passive-aggressive sniping back and forth as she demands the car to go on a vacation <laughs> is... is really spectacular it's funny to me that paranormal investigation is what she considers a vacation but i think it does help to indicate how desperate she is to get away that this potentially life-threatening thing is is like oh yeah i can't wait sign me up 
Exactly. Yeah. If I had to live with that sister who's constantly accusing me of my mother's murder and her bratty daughter who plays this awful playground music on her <laughs> little stereo all the time, I would go hunt ghosts too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be like, you sign me up for the house with blood dripping down the walls, even though that doesn't happen <laughs> in this movie. But you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I that would be a vacation for me too. I'm with you. She sort of steals the car, although it's <laughs> half hers, as she says many times. Mm -hmm. And she feels good about taking a step towards uh, shelter and being a new person, standing up for herself and being a little more demanding in a good way. It really feels like a triumphant moment for us as an audience. We're like, all right, I'm on board with this character. This is a great first step. I'm excited for her to have the wonders of the world opened up and surely she will live a long and happy life. <laughs> yeah, to use a line from the book, she insists on her cup of stars, at least at first. Absolutely, she yeah. does. Dudley the caretaker ominously warns her about the house and when Nell finally pulls up in front of it, is confronted with visceral feelings of being driven away and stared at by the house, which is also communicated in some great exterior close-ups, especially on the windows glaring down. Really just fantastic stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of Dudley and his wife as well, because they're right. They are mm. correct to warn people away <laughs> and do everything in their power to get people not to stay here. But we kind of hate them at first, especially yeah. him, because he's so rude and so condescending. But... Possibly my favorite moment in the whole movie is Mrs. Dudley when she's showing them their rooms and warning them that no one will be around later in the dark, in the night. Ooh. That line and the way she smiles the first time she says it. Oh, my God. In the dark, in uh, the night. It's so good. I also really like, though, the second time that she, like, they show that she does have a little bit of a sense of humor, too, when Eleanor, like, kind of quotes it back to her, and she's like, ha-ha, you're right, yeah, in, but yeah. also in the dark, in the night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As Mrs. Dudley lets her up and into the house, though, Nell is extremely jumpy at her reflection, which appears several times, mm -hmm. and the statues, which, to be fair, are very creepy, but this really sets up subconsciously how introspective this is going to be and how much we're going to have to sort of confront what's going on inside of Eleanor. Miss mm -hmm. Dudley does warn her that they live miles away and no one will come if they need help. Very creepy. And this is a moment where the black and white accenting the shadows on her face. You see that and you're like, they're totally right about this looking better. How could it have been shot any other way? Exactly. <laughs> In rolls Theo with her chic hair and clothing, a stark difference between her and Nell. Lots of little indicators of her skills here between knowing that she goes by Nell, a comment on her relationship with her sister, and knowing about the new clothes as well. They get lost in the labyrinthine halls of Hill House, and Nell feels a presence and a chill on them both. Theo says the house is calling Nell and wants her. And it is interesting that Theo is the one who suggests this at first, especially since Eleanor, when she first arrives, feels so repulsed by the house and so repelled that when Theo says, oh, the house is calling you and wants you, this kind of like plants the seed in her mind a little bit of, you know, maybe that is the case. I've been waiting for something to happen my whole life. Clearly, this is what's been drawing me forward. Yeah. And Theo's character, she's so mercurial. Sometimes she pushes Nell closer to the house and yeah. sometimes she acts like she wants to protect Nell from the house but she's got a push and pull just like her relationship with Nell where it seems like she's attracted to her then it seems like she really hates her she seems to be wanting to protect Nell from danger but at the same time push her towards it at certain moments yeah it's it's really great Nell backs up she feels terrified and she calls out for Theo but suddenly the door swings open 
And Dr. Markway is like, oh, huh, weird. I just propped these open a few minutes ago. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to Hill House. <laughs> which is, it's a very fun scene. They enter the purple room, which will serve as the command center, and he tells them about some of the oddities of the house, like a lack of right angles and the doors being off-center. Lots of fun little details about it. They meet Luke in the dining room, and Markway reveals that there were originally going to be six assistants, but one by one they dropped out. And he reveals also that he brought them here because of their history with the paranormal, although Nell denies her poltergeist experience. I think it's very interesting that she has so thoroughly repressed whatever happened to her that you can see that how this sort of became the habit and so her sexuality and her feelings of attraction towards theo you can see how it would be very quick for her to repress that as well and just start shoving emotions down and down and down because she's already gotten used to that absolutely yeah and you know her sister nell's sister even makes an oblique remark about it at the very beginning where Nell talks about she's never allowed to go anywhere, she's never allowed to leave the house, and the sister says, well, there's a very good reason for that, if you'll recall, which suggests that the poltergeist incident happened when she was 10. From the age of 10 on, they likely kept her in the house the whole time and just reinforced that repression. So, you know, it's not, it's Nell doing it to herself and her family doing it to her, so she's got all these layers of pressure holding her down and holding down her true self. And another thing I like about that moment is that it calls Markway's ethics into question quite early on because, you know, Theo says verbatim, oh, we're live bait. (laughs) You know, he's brought them there to antagonize the spirits in the house. You know, he's using these people in a really dangerous way. Mm -hmm. And it really calls into question, should we be trusting this man with our lives? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Luke also completely denies belief in the paranormal, so they've truly got the entire spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talk about virtuosic shots. I got to call out, I love this huge mirror angled in such a way (gasps) that it still shows everyone at the table, even Mm -hmm. when it's a close-up on Markway and Luke. Mm -hmm. It just is so effective at distorting the feeling of the room that it feels like this is truly like through the looking glass kind of stuff it's just absolutely remarkable here i am remarking on it (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic and part of you if you're watching it for the however many time you look for the camera because you feel like i should be able to see the camera in this shot but i can't see it you can't see it so it's you know the laws of physics don't apply in this house and there's another mirror on the other end of the table too so you're constantly seeing reflections and you're constantly seeing these but yeah that mirror shot the big one that you're talking oh god it's fantastic sure is they continue to discuss the house and i like that he hands them all a survey to be like what have i seen that was (laughs) fucked up at the house today Very, very funny to me. They go to bed, and I love the fade-out shots of the house that really linger. They really let you soak it in Mm -hmm. as they transition here. In the middle of the night, there's some very, very intense banging, and Theo calls for Nell, who rushes in, and the pounding goes to the other end of the hall, and Nell relates it to her mother banging on the walls in her sickness. And it rushes at the door, and it freaks them out big time. And a laugh rings out, and the cold fades away, and they open the door to see the two men right outside, who say Nell looks like she's seen a ghost, and it breaks the tension, and they all start giggling. And I think that this is a really great first big scare. Mm-hmm. It's really intense, but you don't know for sure what's going on. You're not. It's not so intense that you're like, oh yeah, that's a ghost, absolutely. Like, it could just be an old house has weird pipes that bang against the walls sometimes and then it was the footsteps of the guys outside because they are right there 
it's you're not so locked in on the house is an active antagonist just yet. Yeah. I I remember the first time I watched this, I was actually sitting in this room the first time I watched this movie. I was watching it on TCM and I was terrified. Like my hands was up, my head was up covering my mouth and I was like trying not to scream. I was just riveted. I was terrified by the scene. But another thing about this is, you know, we never hear the dog or whatever else it was that the men supposedly heard and we never see them run out after it like this is literally an instance of them telling us not showing us mm-hmm. but it's so scary and so effective it's, <laughs> it's not lazy storytelling at all it's not you know no we just have to move the story along so we're just going to tell you what happened it's so terrifying to hear about it after the fact and realizing the implications of it as Markway says the house is trying to separate them mm-hmm. like I'm really fascinated but you know everyone always says show don't tell they do the reverse and it's still brilliant i'm just i'm fascinated by that especially because the explanation makes no sense that was obviously (laughs) not a dog (laughs) like it was so huge that you're like well you're telling me something that is clearly unreliable it's really well done Mm -hmm. and just the idea of hearing something run past your door when you can't see it when there's nothing actually there i'm getting chills right now like i've I've got a mirror in my room so i can see the door behind me i'm Uh, checking Uh, yeah i'm checking the mirror right now because i'm like oh is the door gonna (laughs) open is something gonna run past yeah (laughs) it gets you it gets under your skin for sure Mm -hmm. the next morning while talking with mark way Nell was discussing caring for her mother and how the only thing that kept her going was the knowledge that something extraordinary like Hill House would happen to her. Markway advises her, however, to consider not wasting her new lease on life there. Perhaps one of the best pieces of advice that he gave. (laughs) He also reveals a bit about his own past and how he basically rebelled against his family into studying the dead and anthropology and by virtue of that... He was like, it's very uh, quick hop, skip, and a jump over from studying dead civilizations to dead souls. And Nell is very charmed by him and flirts a little back and forth. And Theo sees it from the doorway. (laughs) (laughs) And is none too pleased. Absolutely not. Some writing appears in the main hall, something like chalk, that says, help Eleanor, come home. Uh, Nell appropriately freaks out i think (laughs) that is very scary (laughs) (laughs) yeah very valid reaction to that (laughs) and theo teases her supposedly to make her mad instead of scared although i don't know who's buying that and she's far too eager to agree with mark way when he says oh she's just trying to keep you from being scared right now the way she leaps on it like oh that's exactly what i was that is no (laughs) no man absolutely not (laughs) But she leads Nell up to her room. Later that day, they're taking the tour. They take a gander at another creepy statue, discussing that it might be St. Francis curing the lepers, or a portrait of the family, or even a portrait of the group, which is also, you know, very kind of spooky in that, like, echoes of the, the crimes of the past will, like, echo into the present day in a in a cool way mm-hmm. and luke even says that the statue wasn't on the original inventory it just appeared out of nowhere ah! which and this <laughs> this thing weighs thousands of pounds it is huge sure, it's a I'm big just, one i i don't know how many times i watched the movie before i caught that bit about yeah. this this statue has just appeared out of nowhere yeah i mean it's big enough that luke is like i'm gonna break it up and sell each portion <laughs> as like part of a headstone so mm. that gives you an idea of the size right eleanor is disconcerted by the comparisons of her to the companion that they have deemed the statue who quote unquote killed abigail she 
you know, there's uh, some debate about her complicity, the level of it, but more or less she killed her. And she's also very flustered by Markway's charm. Mm -hmm. And so in an effort to regain some control of the situation, she yes-ands the dance suggestion, (laughs) asking Hugh Crane to dance with her. And while she dances, the door flies open. Very creepy stuff. And again, sort of that presenting her to the house you know she gets pushed into this by theo who who is making fun of her and in this effort to be like no i'm cool like i look i I know how to dance she invites this reaction from the house in in an awful way when you look back at it exactly it's like she forced nell into a debutante ball with a demon you know, she's like, you know, and here's your bride, you know, mm-hmm. s- scrawl your name in the book in blood, you know, <laughs> if all the cool kids are doing it, you know, they, they <laughs> definitely goad her into this. And Nell being who Nell is, is easily swayed, easily moved by people thinking poorly of her or in her mind thinking poorly of her. Nell is a really relatable character. Like she never really learns to get what she wants until what she wants is basically her own death. And it's just, she's such a heartbreaking character and it's so sad watching her try and try and try to fit in with these people and feel like she belongs and never quite getting there. Yeah, I totally agree. They go to the library and Eleanor is freaked out again by a smell that reminds her of her mother, although nobody else notices. And so she skips the library while the rest go in. Luke is goofing around on the stairs when they start to shake and he swiftly hops over the railing. This is another very cool effect. The collapsing staircase effect was designed by a metal worker at the studio there, and they like tied portions of the steps and railings to a cable that was running inside the staircase, the central support column. So when they gave that some slack, the stairway like just totally loosened up and became <laughs> real floppy. These guys like walking up this staircase is so scary to me. <laughs> it's so frightening when it just starts coming loose, and especially when the support that goes into the wall starts coming out. Robert Wise himself had to, like, walk up this staircase to be like, look, it's safe. Everyone can do it. Um, But I still wouldn't believe you, Robert. Right? Like, only Russ Tamblin can do it because he's such a skilled gymnast. Like, nobody else would, like, would even attempt it. Yeah. Eleanor is outside glaring at the house and thinking about the companion killing herself from the tower when suddenly Markway is grabbing her, stopping her from falling off the side of the veranda. It's interesting that this is a moment that almost recreates another kill when she winds up recreating one that I alluded to earlier, Mm -hmm. but uh, which, if you don't remember, you can just look forward to later in the movie. (laughs) So Markway wants to send her home, and she begs no. And Markway finally agrees, although he's nervous about her frail mental state and validating the experiment. Very selfish of him there as well to really not care about her own actual well-being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she also moves into the same room as Theo in this effort to sort of have someone there to watch over her. And they have a nice time. Nell drinks for the first time and paints her toes. And she also lies about where she lives to try and impress them and feel less like an outsider. When Theo says... They better get her back to her apartment as soon as possible. She freaks out and she says, I never want to leave Hill House, which is kind of a shock to us as an audience, because so far it has mostly been uh, terrifying to her specifically. (laughs) Yeah, but like like you mentioned earlier, it just underscores how this is her only option. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't have anywhere else to go. She talks 
on the car ride over to Hill House, I, you know, I wonder if all the homeless people feel like this. Yeah. You know, she doesn't have a home. She doesn't have anywhere else to go. She's making the best of a really, really, really bad situation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by embracing this haunted house that is the only place that truly accepts her and wants her. Yeah. The nursery seems to be the heart of Hill House, and Markway finds a cold spot outside of it. Nell and Theo go to bed, but in their budding heads, a few interesting things come out, specifically that Nell is worried that they think she killed her mom in what would be another reflection of the companion and Abigail. That night, Eleanor wakes up to the sound of crying and laughing and asks Theo to let her know that she's there. She gets her hand squeezed so hard it feels like her hand is breaking, and she assumes that it's Theo as requested. But when Eleanor screams out and the light comes on, it was revealed that Eleanor has moved across the room and Theo is on the complete other side. And she has no idea who was holding her hand and squeezing so tightly. This is another moment that just had me like crawling out of my own skin with fear. <laughs> and oh, yeah. also, you know, I don't think it's possible to talk too much about the sound design in this movie. The laughter in this film, that ghostly laughter is so terrifying you know it's not particularly distorted like it's not like demonic sounding it's just so eerie and so pitch perfect that i it just sends chills up my spine every time i hear it yeah this is a particularly effective scene i think everything is really working well here the -hmm. performances are absolutely spectacular it's an incredible scene in the book as well yeah and this time around was the first time i noticed this the beginning of that scene the camera moves a lot before we even get to the wallpaper scare because it the it adopts the perspective of someone standing at eleanor's window and then turning their head to look at the wallpaper while the women are on either side like Mm -hmm. there it's like a spirit inside the room like we're looking through the ghost's eyes essentially and it's just it's something i've never noticed before i pick up new details in this movie every time i watch it because there's so much going on with the camera move for sure for sure there is and eleanor is starting to question herself and she reveals in fact that she didn't look in on her mother when she knocked much like the companion after all and all these little pointed jabs from her sister and everything uh, no wonder they stung so badly. She feels incredible guilt, she says, every other time I went for the slightest noise. And this one time there was an actual knock and I didn't go and bring her her medicine and she was dead the next day. Mm-hmm. And so for someone who already has such clear emotional issues, that kind of guilt, it's easy to see how that could kind of drive her over the edge. Yeah, absolutely. It's It feels like this has all been engineered for Eleanor, like has been faded from the beginning, which mm-hmm. further calls into question how much research Markway did on these people and how irresponsible he has been playing with yeah. their their emotions and their psychological health this entire yeah. time. Absolutely. Luke finds a book that Hugh wrote 90 years ago tomorrow, and it's very, very creepy and stern <laughs> with lots of weird imagery, and, and Hugh seems like a weird guy, I gotta say. <laughs> Eleanor lashes out at Hugh, and she says, fuck off, Hugh. <laughs> you know, I hope you're burning in that book. And she also lashes out at Theo and stalks off. Markway sends Theo out to get her, and Eleanor is still livid. This is where she confronts Theo about her sexuality in a very pointed manner. After Theo more or less says that she's jealous about how interested Eleanor is in Markway, this really feels like a moment where she is opening herself up to Eleanor, and Eleanor really throws it in her face for uh, for her trouble. <laughs> so yeah. 
Yeah. Like you said, she calls her nature's mistake. She's clearly very trying very hard to wound her, and it is effective in a very... Uh, you can understand why Thea would be so hurt by this, to be sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like a scene where you can only hurt your close friends in a specific way because you know so much about them and you know their weak spots. Because mm-hmm. Theo is a very tough character. Sure. After getting so close with her and then throwing it back in her face, like you said, that's the most hurt and the most scared we see her, I think. Even yeah. with all this supernatural stuff going on, the fear that Eleanor is throwing that back in her face, of all things... It's just, it's, it's really heartbreaking. It really is. Mrs. Markway shows up to beg Mr. Markway to leave, Dr. Markway, excuse me. He didn't spend all those years in fake movie medical school to uh, <laughs> be called Mr. Markway. And, and Eleanor is extremely upset to learn that he's married. John Markway is married to Grace Markway. Grace says that she's going to hang around until he's ready to leave. And Eleanor directs her towards the nursery, <laughs> although she does quickly regret it. But it, it is funny that she kind of like really signs into action the rest of the movie by doing this. <laughs> yeah, I love that she took a page from Theo's playbook with that one, I think, because she, yeah. <laughs> she was so cold and so quick with that. And she really hit the mark with it. Yeah. Yeah. John Markway says that she can't sleep in there anyway because he doesn't have a key and the Dudleys aren't there. But they see that in the interim, the nursery doors have swung ajar at the top of the stairs. Very spooky, but Grace is not impressed. (laughs) Inside, this is our first look at it as well. It's very creepy with Suffer the Little Children written across the ceiling beam. Uh, which that would be enough <laughs> to be very creepy. Right. But. Like this, this whole movie is a study in generational trauma and abuse. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. And a similar chair to Eleanor's mother, which sends Eleanor spiraling a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. This is another shot that I really absolutely love and have to call out where she's like gnawing on her nail and fretting about her place at Hill House and the way that it's done with her in the absolute immediate foreground and the muted voices of the other people in a much more traditional staging at the door in the back. Mm-hmm. It's just another moment where you're like, this would be the standout scene of any other movie, but it's just another small moment in this movie. Exactly, exactly. That night, while Jake is supposed to be keeping watch upstairs for the nursery, he comes downstairs for a drink and the door slam shut, trapping them all in a room while more banging happens outside and moves towards the nursery. I really love the close-ups on each of their face that are intercut with the doorknob, which winds up feeling like reaction shots for the house as well, just again establishing that it is a character, that it's someone you have to be watching. The door warps and bends, and it's very scary, and a lot of people think that this is rubber. It is wood, it's laminate wood, And they had a strong crew member just pushing another piece of timber hard into it. And that's how they distorted this door. It's a really frightening image in a way that because it is so practical, it kind of unnerves you because you're like, I don't even hearing that and watching it. I'm like, I still am not totally sure on how they pulled that off. Yeah. And I had heard that before, but even with you saying it, I'm like, nah, that's not true. (laughs) Because It 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 looks like it wouldn't be. It, yeah, it doesn't, like, it looks like it's just ghostly in origin, like, because it, yeah. it just, it's just astonishing. And this is not a movie with a lot of special effects like that, mm-hmm. you know, where most of it, like I said, is just sound design, just camera angles, just camera movement. So when that happens, it kind of takes you aback, because this is the most overt it's been in the entity's entry into a room it wanted to come into. And just that escalation of the powers and the urgency 
makes it so much scarier. Yeah, and uh, as far as the look of it, I, I would say that the closest comparison for people who have not seen this movie would be the Nightmare on Elm Street, like Freddy coming through the wall look. Mm-hmm. But because it's like the door, it's much more solid than the look of how they did it on there. So there really is no comparison. It's its, its own unique thing, and it's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mark Way wants to go for the nursery, and while he and Jake fight about it, Eleanor makes a hasty retreat out the back door, thinking to herself that whatever the house wants from her, it can have. Uh, love yet another scary statue leering at her as she makes her way out. A lot of very fun camera movements like rotation and using mirrors to warp in these moments as well. Mm-hmm. The house seems to be coming down, and Eleanor runs into the nursery where Grace has disappeared. As the rest of the group arrive and get to searching, Eleanor feels that she is continuing to vanish into the house, and she heads for the statue that they compared to Hugh Crane. She says, We killed her, you and I, and dances around it again, saying that she's going to stay and not be alone or afraid anymore. Wow, what a moment of just sheer terror for her to really be, like, throwing herself headlong into this. Yeah, and she's saying, you know, the house is coming down around me. Like, she gets wrapped up in curtains, and the it's like tendrils of the house are reaching out to her, and she's finally just uh, giving in. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she's given in to other outside forces her entire life. She's like, these are outside forces that want me around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are the ones that I'm going to succumb to. Like, it's, it's so Had to sad, happen eventually, she but says. But it's so scary. Exactly. It's just, from the beginning, it's felt so inevitable with Eleanor. Yep. The group finally realizes that she's missing, too. She heads for the library, and the camera climbs the stairs. Really great-looking shot. She climbs as well, and the stairs start to shake again. But she waits it out, unlike Luke and uh, continues her ascent. And I think that that is, again, very demonstrative of sort of the difference in their opinions of what's going on in her sensitivity to the house mm-hmm. and that he is so closed off that as soon as it starts to happen, he jumps off and she instead embraces it, getting down more onto the stairs and kind of letting it just wash over her. Yeah, absolutely. She waits it out, continues her ascent, and the group shows up and begs her to come down. But she keeps on keeping on. And the doctor goes on up after her, despite their warnings that it will collapse, and the frame is pulling out the wall, as we see. This is another moment where you're like, this guy just doesn't think. Like, it seems like it's a good idea, but adding another person to the stairs is, like, the worst possible idea that he could have. Mm -hmm. But she makes it up, and somehow Markway makes it up, too, although things look tenuous for him. He reaches out to her, and she leans over the edge. But as she looks, he grabs her, and she seems to sort of snap out of it a little bit. As they start to leave, though, Eleanor sees Grace in the trap door up there, looking absolutely wild. What a great surprise. I remember being so startled by that the first time I saw this movie. (laughs) That is such a good jump scare. I don't think it gets mentioned often enough when people talk about great jump scares. It is, especially in such a quiet, subtle, haunted house movie where you Mm -hmm. you aren't expecting it, you know? I was going to say, you're never expecting jump scares, but let's be honest, a lot of times you are expecting (laughs) jump scares. But not in this case. Not in this case. It just comes out of nowhere, and it's so shocking and so terrifying. Right. It's not as telegraphed as a lot of movies would, especially in a movie like this, where the score has been so important and and visceral. For it to not telegraph it with the score is really, I think, a smart move. Exactly. You've got this dreamy, almost lullaby as she's going up the stairs, and it just kind of, you're calm, and you're you're like, okay. And... 
this is, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I feel like this move has been copied, you know, ad nauseum by so many movies. Sure. Wreck feels like Wreck a little bit. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Luke and Nell, oh, wait, no, Eleanor faints. I jumped ahead a little bit. (laughs) Eleanor faints, and when she awakes, Mark Way wants to send her home. And she confesses that she made it up, and she doesn't have a home. And it's not fair that Grace is the one taking her place, and that she's the one that the house really wants. And we get some more really great reaction shots of the house just kind of looming there, Mm -hmm. and feeling like it's not sated. This is not over yet. You know, it's gonna keep pulling her and pulling her until the levee breaks. Now Luke and Nell go to drive off. They have finally pushed them away, and Theo and Markway both wish her well. But when Luke gets out to get the gate key, she says, They're fools! They can't make me leave! (laughs) (laughs) She drives into the night. She is crying, and she loses control of the car, saying that she knew Hill House wanted her to stay, and she drives straight into a tree when she sees the haggard Mrs. Markway running. Another great jump scare from Mrs. Markway. Not in this movie very long, but she really (laughs) makes the most of her moments on stage to scare the pants off. Right? Money Penny earns her keep in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Sure does. Sure does. (laughs) Dr. Markway finds Eleanor's corpse, now part of Hill House, forever. Grace emerges, saying that she didn't want to do it, but the house got her lost. Luke says Eleanor aimed at the tree, and they all say, damn, I guess Hell House really did do that, and resigned, they go to call the cops and head home as Luke says that it should be burned down and salted. The end. Grim. The, hell, the house just wins. They're right? just like, well, I guess we're done here. <laughs> yeah, and Ele- Eleanor's ghostly narration is like, it might stand another, another 90 more. Like, basically, try it. Try yeah. and burn me down. You know, something will happen to everyone who tries to hurt this house. It's, oh, yeah, it's so grim and so depressing and so, so good. (laughs) Absolutely it is. And now, Jess, we've reached the point of the episode where we sum up why it's not just so good, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. I'm going to let you start us off. (laughs) Okay. Well, several reasons. Number one, I, I really do think this is the scariest movie I've ever seen. And... Not all horror has to be scary in the, you know, hide under your covers or jump out of your seat way. But if you want to say the best horror movie is determined by what the scariest horror movie is, The Haunting Wins. This is a terrifying movie. Watch it, you know, if you've never seen it before, you know, A, go back in time and don't listen to this and experience it all for yourself for for the first time. Then come back and listen to this. Yeah. You know, watch it alone with the lights off. Let your imagination take over. Let the shadows in your room whisper to you. Let the bumps that you hear as your house or apartment settles convince you that there's something outside your door. Like, this is a terrifying movie. Mm-hmm. So just on that criterion alone, I think it earns the title as best horror movie ever because it's the scariest one to me. But also, you know, we've talked about Robert Wise's mastery of everything. <laughs> you know, just... it manages to be the scariest movie I've ever seen using primarily just a few laughs and a few bumps on a soundtrack and really well done, really interesting camera angles. It's It accomplishes so, so much with relatively little. It doesn't have a lot of special effects. It doesn't, it's not really... Uh, there's there's no blood, there's two small jump scares, you know, it's so subtle and so smart and so ingenious and so beautiful, but it's terrifying and it tells this really rich 
story that you get something new from every time you watch it. I just, I I can't talk enough about the sound design and the camera work in this movie. I just think it's brilliantly done, and I've never seen anything that topped it in terms of making the house its own character, making the movie an extension of the house where the camera angles are off kilter, the sounds are off kilter. You are, sometimes you are the house, sometimes you're inside the house. It plays with perspective in such a genius way. So these are my arguments for why it's the best horror movie ever. (laughs) Absolutely. I totally agree. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is so interesting. Not only are there plenty of incredible performances and interesting themes that are ahead of their time Mm -hmm. to dig into, but as you say, Robert Wise's work in this movie and and the cinematographer, Mm -hmm. together they really create something special. And and that doesn't even discuss the sound design, which is so, so effective and so integral to creating that atmosphere that just seeps out of every pore of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like we said, there, there are so many moments in this where it could be the best shot <laughs> of any other movie. And there's so many candidates for that in this that it's impossible to choose. And it is very frightening with so implicit of a scare. Mm -hmm. There is so little that is actually put on screen to scare you, Mm -hmm. but through the, through the atmosphere and through the way that the camera work uh, is shot, it does, it does genuinely scare you. And look, if you think that you know more about film than Marty Scorsese and Steven Spielberg, (laughs) Well, let's just say I doubt it. <laughs> I know I don't. Yeah. And and uh, I think that they're absolutely on the money when they say that this is the scariest movie ever made because mm-hmm. it's really frightening. There's You have this nervous breakdown that's happening and keeping you guessing about, is this even really happening? How much of it is just her? You know, uh, Markway talks about like, well, if even one thing is a hallucination, it kind of invalidates this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole time we're like, well, what if this is just a hallucination? She's been through so much already that this could just be like one last gasp of of her brain trying to just <laughs> do something, have something for her to latch onto, uh, some explanation for the trauma that she's gone through all her life and the, and the pushing away that she feels and. It's just fantastic, folks. It, this is, I think, one of the best examples of an entryway to older horror, I think. Absolutely. And and that's a big reason for why this is the best horror movie ever made. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, it's a nice bridge between modern horror and older horror. Because, you know, like we said, you know, you can see influences from this movie in later films. And... We talked a bit earlier about people who might think, oh, older movies are boring, black and white movies are boring. Please watch this movie and try to tell me it's boring. (laughs) (laughs) It is so scary. It's so interesting. The character dynamics are fascinating. Even if you divorce the supernatural element, the character dynamics are fascinating between all these people. And God, it's just, it's sometimes it's really funny. And sometimes, I mean, it's the whole thing is very scary, but there are a few moments where it's, it's legitimately funny. And I'm not trying to argue that every horror movie has to have comic relief in it because I don't believe that's true. But it's just so organic. There's not Mm -hmm. a second in this movie that ever bores me. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen it at this point. It still scares me. It still surprises me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you notice 
so many new things every time you watch it. Like I mentioned the the angle in the wallpaper scene that I had never noticed before because every single shot <laughs> is like another director's highlight reel. Yeah. And, you know, with Robert Wise, it's like, no, this is just me. This is me on a Tuesday. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I it's just it's astonishing. You know, mm-hmm. you can get lost in just one shot with the production design and the cinematography. And God, it's so sumptuous. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful. I'm yeah, I'm obviously I picked it for the episode, but <laughs> I'm just obsessed with this movie. I mean, the name of my blog is We Who Walk Here. My handle on social media is We Who Walk Here. You know, there's a reason I am so obsessed with this story and with this movie. Yeah. I think that sums it up, folks. Uh, best horror movie ever made. We did it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bang the gavel. We're done. Yeah, done and done. Jess, I want to thank you so much for coming on. What a delight to talk about this movie with you. Please tell people where they can read your writing, find you on social, all that jazz. You can find me on Twitter at we who walk here. <laughs> I've got a blog called we who walk here. I write it a lot of different places. You've already mentioned I've got my portfolio and I share all my articles and everything on Twitter. So at we who walk here, come say hi to me and come agree with me that this is the best <laughs> horror movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. Sound off the haunting fans. Tell us <laughs> how great it is. <laughs> yeah. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at little horror PHL. You can check out the Patreon, where soon you will hear Jess and I talking about Haosu, clearly, <laughs> yes. along with many other episodes about things like EC Comics and Freaky Friday 2003. So Yay. all kinds of great stuff that you can listen to over there. And uh, rate and review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps out and uh, gets it in front of more people. And that's what we all want, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So do that, please. Thanks again, Jess. This was a lot of fun. And bye, everyone. Bye.